Our owner told me many years ago, Mr. Keller, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you don't learn how to delegate, you'll never make it past five million. Mm. So really for us, it's not German market needs and US market needs. It's the Siemens application requires this, the Rockwell application requires this. Probably have lost a few people here and there mm -hmm. who couldn't understand that sometimes working with a big German headquarters may be a little different than what they're used to, mm -hmm. but they, they overlook the potential and the benefits that you get from working mm -hmm. as a big German sure. um, corporation. Welcome to the Westbound Podcast. My name is Matthias Oertzen, founder and managing director of the Oertzen Group. Each month we bring you international business leaders to share their personal and professional journey in North America. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let's get to it. I'm very excited to talk today's guest. Uh, it's going to be all about connectivity in a variety of different industries. Uh, welcome, Markus Keller, uh, president of Moore Electronic Inc. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you, about the company. You want to go through through all of it, obviously. And uh, But uh, maybe we start with the company a little bit about Moore Electronic, what it does, what uh, uh, companies or industries it serves. Murdertronic is a German-based, family-owned uh, manufacturer. Uh, we are in the industrial automation business. Mm -hmm. um, our main verticals are automotive, logistics, intralogistics, warehouse automation, and packaging. But really, you find our products in a lot of different applications. Anywhere and everywhere where there are machines or automation, there is a need for our products. Um, our focus is connectivity. Hence, our slogan, stay connected. We mm -hmm. really connect the I.O. level, sensors and actuators, mm -hmm. to the controls level. That's mm -hmm. what we do. Um, company has been around for nearly 50 years now. We're approaching our 50th anniversary mm -hmm. in the U.S. for just uh, shy of 30 years. And uh, yeah, we and a great business, uh, great times for us. Yeah. Uh, myself, I came from Germany to the U.S. in 2001. Mm -hmm. January 31st, 2001, we mm -hmm. moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. And uh, didn't realize how cold it can be in Michigan. <laughs> I know. And Beautiful fall weather and nice leaves changing, but very cold. Yeah, yeah. not in January. Yeah, not in January. <laughs> and then I came or we came to Atlanta to Melotronic in 2005. So I've been at Melotronic for over 18 years already. Ah, that's incredible. Yeah, and I think from what I, we've been working together for a few years and so from what I gathered it I mean only in those two years there's been uh, uh, quite incredible growth um, uh, I can only imagine how, how has that been from you know your start at Merle Electronic to, to now how, how much has the organization grown we have grown quite a bit when I started we had nine employees I was number nine mm -hmm. today we are at roughly 185 wow okay and the last two years were very Good for us. Okay, and that is uh, does some of that have to do with intra logistics and you know the. It's part of it. Yes. Amazon, everybody ordering stuff mm. for for being at home. There are a of lot of things that that come together. Intra logistics is certainly one of them. Right. Um, another important thing is that we started production in the U.S. in 2015, mm -hmm. late 15. We started local production. Yeah. And that has really made a difference over the last few years to help us grow um, faster than previously. And uh, after 2020, um, it all came together for us. Excellent. That's great. So setting all the right uh, 
uh, Weichen is the German word. I can't think of it. <laughs> the um, right setting the track. Put all the right things in place. In place, that's I'm, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To to then uh, benefit and succeed. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so, what led you to, uh, uh, or what what was critical mass? Where where was the decision made to say, okay, we do have to manufacture here? Was it lead times that was really becoming a problem? Is it? I would assume that the U.S. and Germany is probably somewhat similar in cost to manufacture, right? Or is it still less expensive here to manufacture? It's actually less expensive in Germany. Okay. Uh, for us to manufacture. Okay. Um, based on scale and uh, a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but what really convinced our owner to manufacture is we visited another German family-owned business mm -hmm. um, really close to our office. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a planned tour from the CEO of that business. Mm -hmm. And he told us how successful they were after they started production and how it allows them to meet specific customer needs that mm -hmm. are US specific only and how they now have products that are developed and produced only in the US, US market, but yeah. shipped globally mm -hmm. because lo and behold, often the same needs suddenly pop up outside of the US because companies manufacture outside the US to ship to the US. Mm -hmm. And really when he saw that company and how successful they were after they started local production, uh, he was ready to go. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just got to see it to believe it and yes. then, then go for it. And I admit I underestimated what a difference maker that could be. Really? And how so? Tell me about it. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming part of it is you know, made in America, right? This really means something to the it's US. It's part person. of it. Okay. Um, but the main thing is that, uh, like so many German companies, we are really successful in Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a big market for us. And there are really big customers in Germany have established relationships for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we come with opportunities for the US that may be special in Germany, mm -hmm. it's sometimes hard to get the attention of product management and uh, they say, look, it's not such a big opportunity. Compare your opportunity to what we got out of German automotive sure. industry. Sure. And even something that looked really big to us as the U.S. organization mm -hmm. didn't get a lot of traction in Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, often we were just too slow. Mm -hmm. um, processes move differently in Germany than they move in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And with our own production, we are just less dependent mm -hmm. on getting stuff from Germany. Mm -hmm. We yeah. still get a lot from Germany, don't sure. get me wrong. There sure. are standards that we get from Germany. We are very good at making these in Germany. Mm -hmm. But uh, US-specific, customer-specific, we are much better in the US. So you do your own product management uh, then, and, and some of the design and engineering um, also here? Uh, we do our own product management okay. and we started doing design as well. Yes. Okay, yeah, fantastic. So you can respond much faster to yes. uh, uh, some of your... And yeah, I, can, I hear that a lot actually where... Um, there is uh, orders that come out of the U.S. You know they don't have quite the priority in uh, you know in Germany than um, that they maybe should be, or compared to a European customer that you've done business with for in uh, more electronics case, what 50 years you said, right? And yeah. um, I can see how those things. And there's the squeaky wheel, right? You've got an account manager or a regional sales manager. They are making sure that their order goes through um, when uh, now you've been able to set this up here as well. And so you are at home in, or your location here is in uh, Swanee. Georgia? Swanee, okay. Swanee, mm -hmm. just outside 
the perimeter, about 15 minutes from the perimeter. Got it. Northern suburbs. Exactly. Northeastern suburbs. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And you have your corporate team there, warehousing, manufacturing. Okay. Yes. And then how are you set up um, across uh, across uh, North America, so to say? So we have a secondary warehouse and office location in Michigan mm -hmm. to be closer to the really the automotive customers in mm -hmm. the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, we also have an office with uh, R&D and production in Minnesota, mm -hmm. which produces a little bit a different part of our product range. And then we have salespeople all over the US. Mm -hmm. And you have them in geographical territories yes. working. Do you have them organized by verticals or are they uh, key accounts or how, how do you have them organized? Everything. We Everything. have them organized by territories, mm -hmm. by verticals and by key accounts. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. So tell us a bit about like automotive. You say automotive, right? There's a, that's a lot of different things. Like, so how do your products, uh, connectivity understood, yeah. uh, but how do they, what's, what's an example? Like, so our what, biggest automotive yeah. customers are German automotive manufacturers. Mm -hmm. They are close to where our offices mm -hmm. and uh, the biggest application automotive for us is the body shop. The body shop. There's okay. a lot going on with uh, all the robots, all the tools mm -hmm. and the tool changes. And uh, so that's where we have the, the biggest applications for us. Mm -hmm. We also have applications in the transmission, mm -hmm. machine tools, really. Mm -hmm. Machine okay. tools and the automation in between the machine Got tools. It. Okay. And then just general machining for all the tier ones. Mm -hmm. But the number one application is the body shop with mm -hmm. all the robots. Mm -hmm. Those are the biggest projects for us. And there it's again, IO connectivity, um, our biggest success story in that, in that application is our, what we call the IO modules. Mm -hmm. It's a product we call MVK. Mm -hmm. It's a metal box with uh, electronics in it to connect up to 16 signals mm -hmm. okay. on, on the robot, the end of arm tooling or whatever the application is. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, a lot of these are being used for a new, typically it's a new plant or a new assembly line. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So your customers would be, and you have, you don't have to confirm or, or not confirm, but they will be Georg Fischer, maybe someone like a Grob, uh, DMG Mori, uh, some of the, that, that do the in-house Machine tools is certainly part of it, yeah. but on the body side, it's really the OEMs, the, the, OEM the, the car manufacturers mm -hmm. themselves. Okay. Yeah. And we are the exclusive I.O. supplier to two of the leading German car manufacturers. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. That's really great. Yeah. So that's Southeast business probably mostly, I would assume. Southwest. Southwest. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. And then intra-logistics, right? So um, what uh, are we talking about the Amazons of this world and uh, uh, or DHLs or how, where, where would your products go there? It's in intra-logistics. Sometimes we don't even know who the customer is because okay. there the work is often done um, through the integrators, yep. the, the machine builders, and you can Google the 10 largest sure. inter logistics yeah. companies in the world. Yeah. Integrated used to be one, now it's Honeywell. Yeah, okay. You, you, yeah. Find, you yeah. find them and uh, it depends on who they do work for. Sometimes they have a certain approved product list. Sometimes mm -hmm. they provide their own specification. Mm -hmm. um, but Amazon is certainly a big part of logistics in this country are based on the online shop model that they have. Mm -hmm. And a lot of packages goes through Amazon warehouses every day. Yeah. But there are others that are working on warehouse automation. Mm -hmm. A labor shortage mm -hmm. is, uh, I think, something that we all are dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets harder and harder to staff a warehouse properly with talented employees who mm -hmm. are willing to stay. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
that's where automation can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw on your website, I know that's a, a bit of a closed kept secret, but on the website, you published some figures that the group worldwide was just over 400 million, I think, last year. Um, and I know a significant portion of that is, is, is the US market. What, what would you say has led to this exponential growth, really? Um, um, is, are the products that unique? Is the Is the uh, distribution or sales strategy that unique? Is it, what is it that makes you uh, uh, shine? I don't think there is this one thing where we can say that's the difference. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to believe that it's really accumulation of many years of hard work mm -hmm. with a core of employees that has been relatively stable for many, many years mm -hmm. and uh, putting the sales and business development strategy in place. Mm -hmm. We were ready when the opportunity presented itself sure. in 2020 when we saw the logistics business yeah. uh, really go up that we preparation. were able to... Opportunity opportunity preparation. preparation. Pre Thank go. you. Yeah, and sorry. I was uh, thinking about who said it. It was I think it was a famous quarterback. I Yeah, anyways, we got it together. <laughs> yeah, I'm more like Yogi Berra who says things that don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, yeah. So opportunity met preparation. Mm -hmm. And it's really the strategy, oh. mm -hmm. the products, the mm -hmm. products that we have really lend itself for these applications. Mm -hmm. We had new products come out at the right time mm -hmm. to be prepared for the opportunity that we met. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say operationally, we just have, it helps when you have a large parent company behind you. Of course. Yeah. Um, where you have not unlimited, but tremendous manufacturing resources mm -hmm. to be able to meet this incredible increase in demand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how you said you were first in, in Albert, Michigan, and then you came to Georgia, two very different regions. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to just compliment you, but you are of, of one of many of the people that I deal with. You're one of the more assimilated ones, you know, someone who is truly playing in both worlds. Right. And um, what what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and, and biggest opportunities in dealing with, um, you know, a German headquarter and and having a strong parent company, so to say? Uh, that's uh, it's a question. It's a tricky question because um, sometimes you you may have certain thoughts that you may not be able to express openly. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Um, but I think what is often hard. It's not only the Germans in America. I think it's most companies in most countries. Okay. Um, I heard the same thing about a guy working in Germany for an American company, mm -hmm. I'm struggling with the American culture, mm -hmm. right? That they don't fully understand how the German market works. Right. Um, I'm going to use an example that uh, that I something I experienced is probably about 10 years ago. Right. Um, when we look at the automotive world, most guys understand the automotive world. The most people, Volkswagen is one of the leading, I think the second largest manufacturer of cars worldwide. Mm -hmm. But I think Volkswagen considering their potential, isn't truly successful in the U.S. Mm -hmm. They are making progress now, but for many years, Volkswagen really wasn't as successful as you would expect it, the number two worldwide. I've be. been here 18 years and I can completely, except for the Jetta, uh, Jetta I yeah. think nothing has done particularly well. So, yeah. But things started to turn around for Volkswagen mm -hmm. when they opened their plant in, I think it's in Chattanooga, mm -hmm. and they developed a car of now multiple cars specifically for the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. And the first one, if I remember correctly, was the Passat. Mm -hmm. So they still had the same nameplate, the Passat, mm -hmm. but except for maybe some uh, powertrain, transmission yep. parts, 
the car itself was an American product, American design. Mm -hmm. And uh, around the time I traveled with one of our product managers from Germany mm -hmm. in the US, mm -hmm. um, we traveled in Michigan, visited customers. And again, I tried to explain that what may be considered an excellent product in Germany mm -hmm. may not meet the expectations or the needs of the American market. Mm -hmm. And we were in the car, traveling on the highway, and uh, I explained the Volkswagen story to him. And lo and behold, that moment, a Passat came, came the other way, uh, an American-designed Passat. Right. And I said, look, here's the Passat. Volkswagen built a plant just for this car mm -hmm. in the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. And at that time, he said, I can't understand and I can't believe that they would build a car just for the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. And he started arguing with me that some parts must be from Germany, like the front griddle. He didn't understand that the U.S. car market is probably three times the size of the German car market mm -hmm. and that you just can't necessarily sell the standard German car mm -hmm. in the American market, mm -hmm. even after we went over the Volkswagen number. Mm -hmm. so, they often think, and again, it's not only the Germans in America, I think no, it's no. worldwide. Yep. People often think that what's considered great in their home country mm -hmm. also works mm -hmm. in a different country. Mm -hmm. yep. And I, I always think that one of the dangers in the U.S. is when, when we have visitors from Germany, they think the U.S. is nearly the same as Germany, mm -hmm. right? We mm -hmm. drive similar cars, yes, they're a little bigger, but... Mm -hmm. uh, um, we like Porsches in America mm -hmm. and Audi is rather successful, Mercedes, BMW. We drive on the same side of the road, mm -hmm. we eat similar food. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be so similar to Europe. Mm -hmm. And often people think after they've been here for a week or two visiting customers, they understand the country. Mm -hmm. But they don't understand the, the, the differences when you communicate with an American customer. Mm -hmm who you, you make a presentation and they say, oh, that's interesting mm -hmm. or really great product. Mm -hmm. And they always think, oh, we want that customer. We are going to make business at this account. <laughs> and then you tell them, no, I don't think this was a good, successful visit. Mm -hmm. Why? He said he likes it. Yes. I didn't ask you how much it is. Mm -hmm. He didn't ask you how it works or this or that. And mm -hmm. the, they just don't see that you don't hear, hear the word no very often in the US. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so things like that sometimes make it challenging mm -hmm. to get them to understand that it may be more different than they think it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah, I always have the saying is like, don't, uh, um, you know, overlook um, our differences because of our similarities, right? They are, like you said, it's, I think oftentimes company preparing going to Asia um, is a very different thing, like yes. different alphabet, you know, uh, people look different, right? Different foods for certain, different culture, all that kind of stuff. Um, and because we grew up with the same music and, you know, yes. like, I mean, I'm going to age myself, but like Knight Rider and A-Team and whatever the things were that I watched in my youth, you know, you think that um, you, you just like them and you come here and you see all these extreme to me, the U.S. is a land of the extremes. You see all of it. Yes, you know, you see yes. the most fit people and you see the opposite, right? You see the most beautiful and you see the opposite, right? You see the most ignorant and you see the opposite. You know, it's 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 a land of extremes, in my opinion. Yeah. And what I think makes it even harder is a lot of them speak the language. Mm -hmm. They speak English well. Mm -hmm. And they think based on that, that they understand. Mm -hmm. But... 
often they don't. Mm -hmm. It goes yeah. both ways, by the way. Yeah. It's the same when Americans talk to Germans. Yeah. They think, oh, I understand what they say. And I often see that mm -hmm. they don't talk with each other. They mm -hmm. talk at each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your business is like many businesses, but 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 even more so, it's it's important. You have boots on the ground, and you have people out there, you know, educating about your products, upcoming releases, and such. Do you see a large difference in uh, like European or specifically German and American sales culture? I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that. I left Germany 22 years ago. That's a good question. And okay. I haven't yeah. sold in Germany in 22 years. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. Okay, I'm not. I, yeah. I, I don't know how it is today. Sure, it may, it probably changed since sure. since I left Germany. Yeah. I remember one incident though. Um, I was at a trade show in Germany, mm -hmm. and uh, the German account manager for one of our big German automotive accounts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. called me over and said, "Hey, Mr. Keller, we have customer X Y Z at the booth, mm -hmm. and they have." facilities in the US mm -hmm. and they really would like them to use more electronic mm -hmm. and we would like to talk to you about who to approach in the US and how to sell your product. Mm -hmm. And so I met with them, had a conversation and at the end of the day I choked, said, well, it wouldn't just be good for you if they use our product, it would be good for us too. <laughs> yeah. And that was already too much for the German customer. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to really expressed that, oh, it's good for us if you get the business mm -hmm. and we want the business and we want to grow, mm -hmm. um, even though that was the purpose of the meeting. Sure. So mm -hmm. my feeling is we can be more on the attack, on mm -hmm. the offense mm -hmm. in the US. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to tell a customer, I want your business, what do I have to do to right. earn it? Yeah, yeah. Not sure the Germans appreciate it. Yeah, much. you know, it's interesting. So we do recruiting and that's how we got to know each other. Um, it's interesting. I can always tell the level of assimilation of a CEO that I work with by this thing I'm about to say. So in an offer letter negotiation, if a CEO has been here long enough, they usually appreciate if a candidate asks for a little bit more money um, in the specifically in a sales role because it's it's just customary right it's just yes. part of it yeah whereas you know I work with a new a lot of clients that just started you know which is completely fine we love working with them too you know but there it's like okay now expect you know that th they will ask like oh no we want to make sure we're as close as possible no no we're going to get you close but still expect there's going to be a small amount that needs to be negotiated for it's just how it works yes and it's not It's not German. <laughs> I always think yeah. we expect them to go negotiate with our customers. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't accept that they negotiate for themselves. Sure. Mm -hmm. And today, when I make an offer for a, maybe I shouldn't say that, when I make an offer for a, let's say, management or leadership position, mm -hmm. I'm probably a little nervous if the candidate doesn't try to negotiate something. Right. Yeah. Just to see test the water if there is more in it. But yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's interesting. I have some good friends when we were talking about this stuff and people confuse the Germans for the Scots. We're not, I mean, I know you're out of the Schwabenländle, so that's a... I'm a partner. Oh, you're a partner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take it back. Grenzbad, no, <laughs> yeah. I grew up right at the border to Swabia. Okay. I, I did my civil service close to Stuttgart, uh, Pforzheim area. And I that's uh, as a uh, northern light, as I would be called, or Nordlicht. Um, I, I learned about the difference between you know the Badenders and the Schwaben. Uh, Baden, so, yeah, Baden, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's nice something. Word. Yeah, yes. Sorry about that. No, what I was telling my friend is like we're not Scots, which are known for being, you know, very frugal, right? Um, now your area in Germany is known for being very frugal, but in general, Germans are not hecklers or negotiators, or it's not part of our culture in in general. Uh, 
I always think Swabia is hard for people to understand. Mm-hmm. On one hand, they mm-hmm. have the reputation to be frugal. Mm-hmm. Some call them cheap. Mm-hmm. But then look at the two leading car manufacturers coming out of Stuttgart. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mercedes and Porsche. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and let's keep going, Bosch. So, I mean, like all of them. Yeah. So I always say the Swabians know value. Mm-hmm. They want value. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And if you look at, uh, if you are in Stuttgart and you see all the, I mean, many of our clients are from that area. Um, and I mean, absolute cutting edge. Um, I just saw this morning, I think, in the most innovative, was it, I think it was top 20 most innovative countries in the world. There were two Germans, one was Siemens and the other one was Bosch. Yeah, very good. Um, tell us a bit, a bit about Markus Keller. I know you started in uh, Ann Arbor. Um, you're an engineer by trade, right? I'm an engineer by trade, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. I got my engineering degree in Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized really towards the end of, before I graduated, that I really don't want to work as an engineer. Okay. Uh, too many details for me. <laughs> I always said, I don't care about the tolerance for for a bearing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to know it works mm-hmm. so I can go sell it. Mm-hmm. So the first company that I worked for after I graduated, they actually had two job openings. Mm-hmm. Um, one was in construction, mechanical construction. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I need a job. If that's all they have, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. I need a paycheck. Yeah. But then they also had an opening in inside sales. Don't you wish we had some more people like that today? They're like, I just need a paycheck. I'll take that job. You know, <laughs> right now we're all scratching for the right people. Yeah. So, sorry. But uh, so I got the job in inside sales. Okay. And uh, I realized that I enjoyed that a lot more, working with people, working with customers, understanding their applications, coming up with a better solution than maybe my competition, mm-hmm. and just come up with smart solutions that work for the customers mm-hmm. and work for us as a, as a company, as mm-hmm. a vendor. Mm-hmm. And uh, first, I had this mix in Germany. You have a lot of times you have inside salespeople who travel, mm-hmm. go to customers from mm-hmm. headquarters, mm-hmm. and then they go back to do some project work, whatever. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I always said, well, I don't want to do outside sales. Yeah. I don't want to knock on doors. Yeah. That's the thing about sales too that I find so interesting. Like, it, it, like you said, I've also been here 18 years. So it really may have changed. And I see some signs of that in different industries. But back in the day when I was still there, it was very much a, it almost had a, a bit of a bad rap, yes, you know, if it got absolutely. too salesy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My parents, actually, I mm-hmm. grew up on a on a farm, a dairy farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents were very proud when I got my engineering degree. Mm-hmm. But then I started in inside sales. <laughs> and for, honestly, for many years, at that time, job openings were in the Saturday newspaper. Mm-hmm. For many years, my dad, when I was home for the weekend, showed me the Saturday newspaper, said, mm-hmm. look, this company is looking for engineers and mm-hmm. this company is looking for engineers yeah. and why don't you work as an engineer? Mm-hmm. And so for him, it wasn't easy that I didn't want to work as an engineer, mm-hmm. but preferred this, that, that, the inside sales position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But eventually I realized, boy, sales has a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Funny how decisions are often dictated by what sales requests. Mm-hmm. And eventually I realized, boy, if I really want to have an impact on a business, mm-hmm. it's probably not a bad idea to really go into outside sales. Yep. So that's when we came to the US, 
2001, mm -hmm. and I had my first true outside sales position. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be? Like the going to going to the U.S. Were you, were you actively seeking out uh, to go to the U.S. and work for a company there? Or it started with my wife asking, "Could you imagine going to a foreign country for a while?" Interesting. We, okay. we have three kids. Yeah, um, we had three kids at that time already. Mm -hmm. Third one was just on the way. Okay, uh, and she said it would be a chance for the kids to learn another language. Mm -hmm. And Had you traveled a lot already at before? before within the, Europe, yes. Yeah, within Europe. With, within our means, so, traveling in Europe. So always been curious about everything. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I was in the US once prior to being married with okay. my best buddy. Yeah. Um, I admit I didn't know that much about the US. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I said, you know what? Why not? I don't know that anybody's going to hire me with three little kids, mm -hmm. but let's try. And uh, I started looking for, and the company I worked for in Germany was a very solid company, mm -hmm. but old-fashioned and slow. And uh, two months after I started there as an inside sales engineer, my boss asked me to the office and complained that my phone costs were too high. <laughs> Called too many customers? Landline. Yeah. Not cell phone. My landline yeah. phone cost was too high wow. if I couldn't send more faxes or letters. <laughs> and I thought, really? Yeah. I thought I'm in sales. Yeah. And so that was the mindset in that solid but old-fashioned company. Sure. And uh, I said, you know what, let's try. And mm -hmm. I started looking for opportunities in July. Mm -hmm. I found two opportunities really quick. Mm -hmm. And the second company, the one that I eventually ended up working for mm -hmm. in, in Michigan, mm -hmm. Um, they were real quick after I sent my application, interviewed in Germany, flew to Michigan mm -hmm. for a second interview. And then I said, look, here's an offer, we'll take you. And I said, holy shucks, we yeah. got to make a decision. Yeah. Um, we considered other countries before. Okay. I actually interviewed with a French company, uh -huh. but my French is so bad that <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't possibly hire me. <laughs> and then we looked at all the English-speaking countries. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the U.S. is it. Yeah. Um, it's the biggest market. It mm -hmm. has the biggest diversity mm -hmm. of areas where you can work. Um, it has a lot of German companies mm -hmm. um, that may be looking for employees in the U.S. Yeah. So it was really quickly very clear it's going to be the U.S. Yeah. And uh, I got an offer and uh, we decided we'll accept the offer. Yeah. And uh, when I resigned, my boss asked me, why are you leaving? And I said, look, I'm going to the US. Yeah. And he said, boy, I understand you have to take it. Uh -huh. And he told me that he had an offer 10, 15, 20 years ago to go to a foreign country. Yeah. And he said, so today, he didn't take it. So today he says, I'm thinking about what if. What if. So you have to take yeah. it. And I'm sad you're leaving, mm -hmm. but I understand why you are leaving. Yeah. And uh, three and a half months later, we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's incredible. January 31st, 2001. Yeah. What a January 31st, 2001. Okay, gotcha. Wow. Okay, so it's this really is really cold. A, yeah. A lot of snow on the ground. Right. Yeah. And already in the middle of the recession. Wow. And eight months before 9 11. Eight months before 9 11. Wow. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. I was scheduled to fly to Germany two or three days later mm -hmm. after 9 11. Really? Okay. Obviously, that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And, uh, in our industry, I was machine tool related. Mm -hmm. uh, we already had a severe recession mm -hmm. that got even worse after September after 11. That. So there were some really difficult months where we are basically was no business to be had. Sure, Companies yeah. stopped investing money. Yeah. Um, I sold machines, capital goods, mm -hmm. and 
there was not much business around. It was scary for a while. Yeah, I can imagine. How um, so? Were you recruited to come uh, to to more electronic, or how how did you make the transition there? Um, they actually had a job posting on the internet. Mm, okay, and yeah. I found that, and uh, that's how I got together with Melatronic. Yeah, interesting. And so you told me something I want to learn or want our listeners to hear about is, so Merlitronic is not like, uh, unlike many other companies where that's actually the name of the founder in, in the name, but it is, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Mer or in yeah. German, Die Moor, yeah. is a river that mm-hmm. flows right past our uh, headquarters building in Germany. Okay, gotcha. And that's, so that's why it's more electronic. Yes. Yeah. And when customers ask us, we also always say, look, there could be, Mirror bank or yeah. mirror concrete, yeah. which just happened to be mirror electronic. <laughs> nice and um, uh, humble, you know, as yeah. Swabians are, right? Or uh, Baden in this case. <laughs> yeah. Well, our owner the, is Swabian. Oh, he's Swabian. Okay, gotcha. So the company is actually on the Swabian side. Oh, yeah. Company's on the Swabian okay, side. Gotcha. And now I'm questioning whether he might have grown up in Baden. Okay. I'm getting in all Not kinds of trouble. Not 100%. I'm getting in all, I, I, my apologies. I'm getting in all kinds of trouble here. I'm, so, I've but tried. Our company is. Deep within Swabia. Got yes. it. Okay, excellent. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, fantastic. How many, uh, uh, how, how large is the organization? Uh, I already said oh, roughly around 400 million. And how uh, many people? A little over 400 million euros yeah. the last year. It actually was 21. Okay. I think those are the numbers that we are publishing. And Got we it. have over 3,000 employees worldwide. Yeah. Wow, incredible. And um, it's a, uh, it's, it's not publicly traded. It's it's owned uh, by an individual. Privately held yeah. by the family of the founder. By the family of the founder. Yes. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's an incredible story. Like so many other uh, uh, German companies, and and doing very well um, in the, in the United States. Where do you see the company going? What 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 is next? What are the plans? Certain things I can't talk about. Sure. Um, but uh, we are absolutely convinced that. Automation is going to keep growing. Sure. Companies are going to keep automating. Um, it is not to replace people. Sometimes people think, oh, other people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. A lot of the jobs that are being automated are jobs that people don't want to make. Right. Or are really bad for people to do right. because it's repetitive, mm-hmm. it's hard work. Um, and automation creates new jobs. Yeah. In automation. Right. You know, um, there's the same argument about AI, by the way. Like, there's this huge train of thought right now that uh, with AI, you're going to replace a bunch of work that people don't want to do or probably shouldn't be doing, you know, like uh, just um, just very simple, you know, clerical work, so to say, you know, so they could probably aspire to do uh, something else. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, automation is going to keep growing. Yep. Um, we have a management team and an owner family in Germany that, who believe in the opportunity in the Americas. Mm-hmm. It's not only the US, it's really North America, mm-hmm. the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, when you read Jim Collins, the flywheel mm-hmm. or success creates success. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more successful you are, the more resources you are mm-hmm. you're going to get to mm-hmm. focus on this market. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We have a lot of amazing products in the pipeline. Some of them have been uh, rolled out uh, on LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. uh, other channels already. Some Mm -hmm. of them we are not talking about yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, growing market, big country, um, lots of opportunity. And we see here and there trends that people 
want to nearshore. They prefer to source from mm. companies with local production mm -hmm. after what they experienced uh, after COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you already do business in Mexico and in Canada as well? We are really successful in Canada. Okay. We are not quite where we should be in Mexico. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's easier to to do your work right here locally sure. than to travel and travel to Mexico got really difficult mm. after COVID. Yeah, hit. absolutely got so absolute lockdown. Yeah. We put our Mexican plans on hold. Yeah, yeah, um, and focus on. We have an, our own office in our own company in Canada. Yeah. So for us, we just focus on the U.S. market. Sure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Now Mexico is opening up. We have to look at our activities there. Yeah. Um, but. It's just at the beginning. There. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how, um, you know, you speak about nearshoring, onshoring, right? Like looking at Mexico, it might be the uh, winner of this geopolitical change that we're all going through, right? I mean, it's, cl it's the closest uh, to, um, you know, the, the largest economy in the world, you know, and it's uh, by already there's a lot of trade going on. You know, if, if there, there's a bunch of problems that I think we're all aware of, uh, you know, that need to be taking care of. But other than that, it's, um, I know I've, I've been to uh, uh, Querétaro uh, a couple mm -hmm. of times and uh, Leon area too, uh, Puebla, I've looked at that. And um, already lots of European business. Yes. German always sticks out to me in specific, of course. Um, and uh, Lots so of automotive. Lots of automotive, yeah. Lots of automotive. So I think uh, that there'll be a great opportunity there for you as well. Yeah. But I mean, the US is, uh, I think we're eight times the GDP um, than, than Germany, something like that. Um, I mean, it must be um, US to Germany, yeah. I would have said it's more like six times, but it's a lot yeah. bigger than Germany. It is a lot, yes. so tons of opportunity to yes. to go go about it there. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, excellent. That's very good. Let's talk a little bit more about um, Europe um, and the US and working with. What, what are some of the challenges um, that you uh, that you deal with dealing with the with a with a German headquarter or what what is or expats you know coming did you use expats coming here? If you define expats as people coming from Germany on a expat contract for let's say a specific specified time frame, generally mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean we have never done it before. Sure. Um, but generally no. Mm -hmm. We prefer to hire in the market for the market. Mm -hmm. And I actually try to not hire too many Germans who might have come as expats right. and stayed in the U.S. Um, to not give the feeling that, oh, if you aren't German, you won't be able to get into management position. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have some people who came from Germany. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it just happened over the years. It we had happened. people with certain special knowledge mm -hmm. and they may have been open for a change. Mm -hmm. So then you take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. in general, it's not our strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, challenges between the US and Germany. Again, I would say my feeling is that this is not only going one way, it goes both ways mm -hmm. and it goes really depending on how different the culture is, it mm -hmm. goes, it goes in, it, or it applies to many different countries. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, look what I just said about Mexico. Mm -hmm. It's far away mm -hmm. and it's difficult to travel and right. we are not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. US is so much easier. Mm -hmm. Look at Germany. Mm -hmm. When you look at the German headquarters, um, same thing applies there. Mm -hmm. Same language. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to travel. Mm -hmm. um, there's already more business. It's easier to talk to customers. So you always fight for resources. Sure. And mm -hmm. 
often in our industry, it's not only Germany, it's the European market. Mm -hmm. In our industry, Europe has very similar requirements mm -hmm. when it comes to products. Um, Asia is a little bit its own its own universe when it comes to our products, but often they are closer to what the U.S. requires mm -hmm. based on a lot of Asian companies shipping equipment to the U.S. Over here, yeah. Um, so, and then there's... Our office often talks about the U.S. market, but it's really the Americas. Mm -hmm. um, in our world, the first question that we have to... Uh, ask is, is a customer using Siemens, mm -hmm. the European market leader dominant in mm -hmm. Euro, in Germany and in Europe, mm -hmm. or is their controls architecture based on Rockwell automation? Mm -hmm. American, strong in the Americas, mm -hmm. reasonably successful in Asia. So really for us, it's not German market needs and US market needs. It's the Siemens application requires this, the Rockwell application the requires this. Interesting. But with us being based in Germany, mm -hmm. obviously we have a lot more Siemens applications. Sure. So if you're looking for your quickest return on invest, you have to develop for the Siemens market. Mm -hmm. If your long-term strategy yeah. really specifies that you want to be present in every part of the world sure. and supply product independent of the control architecture, yeah. you have to develop for the Rockwell world as sure. well. Okay. And yeah. this is where then the US plays a leading role because it's by far the largest market um, for the Rockwell architecture. Interesting. So with, with it driven by these two control systems, is it, can you then almost say it's not, so it's, it's almost not really market specific, it's more, it's really by these control systems then, right? There are nuances that are market specific, okay. but first of all, it's the control system. Control system. Okay. And there are others, it's not only Siemens sure, and Rockwell. Sure, there's and whatever. There is Schneider, there yeah. is Beckhoff, yeah. there's Omron, there's Mitsubishi, yeah. there's BNR. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the big ones for us really are Siemens and Rockwell. Mm -hmm. um, so you first have the control architecture mm -hmm. and we are very well uh, established in the Siemens world mm -hmm. based on the German automotive. Sure. Um, we are not that far yet with the Rockwell architecture mm -hmm. because, you know, success breeds success. And uh, it took us a while to get to the level where we are today, sure. yeah. to get more attention, more resources. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the Siemens architecture is also more open than the Rockwell architecture. Interesting. So sometimes it's easier to... Mm -hmm. To, to integrate with the Siemens system than it is with the Rockwell mm -hmm. system. Do you supply um, other, like certain uh, major accounts like outside of the United States? Because that's a product that you make here and you have a contract in the United States with that major account, and the, but then product also goes to Asia somewhere? Or? So we have certain um, specifications for cable because mm -hmm. a big part of what we do is connectors that have a cable mm -hmm. and I've seen are, your warehouse has a lot of SKUs. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there are specifications, cable specifications that are specifically for the US yeah. market. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. It's a cable type called TPE. Mm -hmm. um, for many years, when we were really small as an organization, mm -hmm. 12, 13, 14 people, yeah. um, I traveled to Germany, talked to the product manager, said, look, I can't sell to GM or Ford. Mm -hmm. And the answer often was, but our German standard, PUR, is mm -hmm. much better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. 
it's better in your eyes, but yeah. it's not better in my customer right, right, eyes. Right, right, yeah. right. That's why they don't specify right. it. Right, yeah. So today we offer the whole range that the US market needs. And again, lo and behold, surprisingly, we find applications outside of the US where customers say, oh, but I need TPE cables mm. because my equipment is going to end up in the US. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this standard today is mainly produced in the US mm -hmm. and then we ship it to uh, other countries where the customers are building the equipment. Interesting. Yeah, I think somewhat of the same fight is going on right now with electrical vehicle uh, uh, charging stations, right? There's a lot going on there right now. What will prevail um, uh, you know, in the future? I know you drive a Tesla, so <laughs> that's probably uh, interesting to you as well. Um, Growing from, you said, 12 people, 19 people, you know, to well over 150 people now, what have some of the challenges been there um, as a, um, did you have to overcome, it's like, oh, I don't want to work for a German company or, you know, like, I don't know about the Europeans or has it been an asset where people are like, oh, I'm curious or is it, you go ahead. I think it can be a tremendous asset. Yeah. Um, it also can be a challenge sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, German family-owned businesses have very good reputation in mm -hmm. general. They mm -hmm. treat their employees well. They don't make decisions based on quarterly results. Mm -hmm. um, there's a long-term plan and uh, employee well-being is really important to the owners typically. Mm -hmm. At least in my experience, yep. our benefits packages are often better than what you find in similar uh, non-German family businesses. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also challenges when your American employees see opportunities that the Germans may not see. Mm -hmm. They may see it differently or they don't have the resources or you didn't put this in a budget last year. Mm -hmm. We don't have it planned. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes Americans, it's frustrating because, boy, when you find an opportunity, you go for it, whether mm -hmm. it was in a budget or not. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be a problem sometimes. And we probably have lost a few people here and there mm -hmm. who couldn't understand that Sometimes working with a big German headquarters may be a little different than what they're used to, mm -hmm. but they, they overlook the potential and the benefits that you get from working mm -hmm. with a big German sure. um, corporation. But really, our biggest challenge, my biggest challenge over the years was just adjusting the organization. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a time when I was sitting in my office and I thought, gosh, nothing works in this company and it's so <laughs> slow and... Uh, why doesn't it work? And then eventually I started drawing an org chart. Mm -hmm. And I realized that everybody was reporting to me. Mm -hmm. And eventually I had to come to the conclusion that it was probably me mm -hmm. why nothing worked and things didn't get done. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was probably the first really big hurdle to overcome to start building an organization mm -hmm. and put management and layers in place mm -hmm. where not everything went through me mm -hmm. and uh, that was sometimes around 11 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. we have been in multiple offices over the years and mm -hmm. i always think about okay which office was i was in when, <laughs> when that, and that happened yeah so that was office number two okay and i had to start putting layers in place and that's incredible. I mean, the uh, I'm very, you know, as you know, uh, I'm building a recruitment business. You know, we're two and a half years old and we have seven employees right now. And I aspire to grow the company significantly. And uh, I find it really interesting that, you know, um, you get to a certain point where you really it's 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 you as the leader that's stopping and you need to yes. reinvent itself or the business is staying at that level. Yes. Um, yeah. 
into. That's that's probably a somber day, um, you know, when you realize that. It, it's you. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our, our owner told me many years ago, Mr. Keller, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you don't learn how to delegate, mm -hmm. you'll never make it past five million. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he went through the same thing when he built the business mm -hmm. and he was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, if you hire that many people, um, that's uh, lots of different ideas coming in, which is lots of energy, you know, but also drama gets invited, you know, structures have to be created. I mean, just on the HR side, I'm thinking about, you know, certain policy that uh, that fits. And uh, of course, we didn't yeah. have HR at the beginning. Yeah. Finance yeah. did HR on the side. On the like side. I think in so many small companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think finance is really not the area that should do HR. No. <laughs> we did the same thing. Yeah. And uh, that's just how it was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, but you, you you got it there, and the company is doing extremely well and is set up to to take the next leap. So that's uh, that's We're fantastic. doing okay, not yeah. extremely well. Okay, gotcha. Doing okay. okay, doing okay. All right. I remember the time when I interviewed everybody for every position. Mm -hmm. I interviewed them, mm -hmm. and eventually there came a time when I came back from a trip and I went to the office and I thought, who the heck is that? Mm -hmm. And I had to go to the department manager and ask, hey, who is that? Because mm -hmm. I didn't even know we were hiring. Mm -hmm. yeah. So things change over the years. Yeah. I, I do know you also use, uh, which I always thought was, so as a, I'm going to full, full transparency as a recruiter, right? If a client comes with a personality assessment, right, in the process, for a recruiter, it's really a nuisance most of the time. And I'll tell you why. Because it slows up the process. And unless the company really has done an assessment of all of the, the management team and the entire population is really actively using this tool, you know, to train people and move them around and such, it's it's really a, it's a, it's a crutch that you shouldn't be using. Just use your intuition until you're ready to really go through the whole program with the whole company. Well, I know you've done that, you know, and, and when we started working together, you've, you've really, what, what has led you to um, using using these tests and um, assessments? The assessments, that's right, they are assessments, yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I'm, I'm sure you didn't use them when there was 12 of you. I started using them when we were probably 15. 15, okay. Um, I struggled to find the right salespeople mm -hmm. um, who could succeed in our environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody we hired was successful in a previous position, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have hired them. Sure. And I already used recruiters back then, so it's not like we just had people sending resumes and mm -hmm. we picked up whoever sent a resume. We had recruiters um, who, who brought the candidates. And uh, eventually I just got frustrated that people were able to be successful in other environments, mm -hmm. but they weren't able to succeed in our environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I hired a sales coach. Mm -hmm. In 2008, we had our first sales training. Mm -hmm. um, we had a couple of reps um, who were in the room and mm -hmm. uh, our direct salespeople. I think there were all of three of them, mm -hmm. maybe four. It's mm -hmm. been a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sat in a training and I went to dinner with the trainer afterwards. And uh, I said, look, after today, giving your impression, my feeling is I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. And Americans don't always want to be so blunt or so direct. So he kept talking about 
it's important to match requirements with skills and this and that and that. And eventually said, look, just give it to me straight. I can't read between the lines. Mm -hmm. And he said, yep, you got to fire two out of at least two of your people wow. because they're not right for your environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I flew a lot to Germany at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have a lot of time when you're on the plane. Back then there was no Wi-Fi <laughs> yeah. on plane, right? Today you got Wi-Fi yeah, on the yeah. plane. So emails keep coming in yeah, yeah. while you're in the air. But back then when I came back from Germany, you had nearly 10 hours with not much to do mm -hmm. if you don't want to watch a movie. So you worked on the emails mm -hmm. that you downloaded before you bought it the plane. And mm -hmm. eventually I realized, boy, I have all these assessments from all these candidates. Um, let me look at whether I find what differentiates the one who were successful in our environment mm -hmm. from the ones who did not succeed in our environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when eventually I found certain similarities between the people who did really well mm -hmm. and the people who struggled. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have used these assessments ever since. Mm -hmm. And it's still not perfect. It still, you have still situations where it doesn't work out the way sure, you expect sure. it yeah, to. Yeah. Um, but uh, our success rate has been a lot better since we used the assessment. It's a data point, right? I mean, yeah. you still use your gut, you still use your team to give you their impressions, right? But it's one additional data point to, yes. to make a decision. And uh, so that's, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think this has been extremely informative. Um, everything about uh, from, from you to, to more electronic. Um, At this time, maybe you have uh, um, any positions you're looking to fill. Are there any uh, any social media channels you would like to promote? I, I do know you're quite active on LinkedIn uh, through More Electronic. Uh, this this will be a good time to maybe share with our listeners if 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 you're looking if anything is itching that you need to hire soon or um, any yeah. other channels. We always have openings based on our growth. Sure. Um, customer service is still growing. We still need more experienced, really good customer service reps. Mm -hmm. um, we are looking at uh, corporate corporate marketing, strategic marketing, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, always looking for salespeople, right? Mm -hmm. Always looking for the right salespeople mm -hmm. and business development people. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are the, the biggest needs at the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we have hired so many people since 2020. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. When I look at our office and uh, I see how many of our employees started just a year or two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sometimes people wonder, oh, do you have a problem with turnover? Because you have all these new people that no, 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 look at our team who has been here prior to 2020. Mm -hmm. We didn't lose a lot of them, but mm -hmm. we just had to hire so many mm -hmm. based on the growth. Mm -hmm. um, and generally, you always have opportunities for the right person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they should go to www.merinc.com or go yeah. to my LinkedIn profile, okay. Marcus Keller, okay. and shoot me a note. Yeah, um, We actually hired a manufacturing engineer a few mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. She reached out to me on LinkedIn. Great. Just yeah. send me a contact sure. request. And I looked at her profile mm -hmm. and uh, I sent her profile to our head of HR said, look, it appears that she's looking for a job yeah. based on her profile. Yeah. And it looks like we need somebody. Right. And 
we hired her like four weeks later. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So reach yeah. out to me on LinkedIn. That's always an opportunity. Yeah, sure. It's it's interesting. You know, I add a little bit of recruiter advice, okay? If you as a candidate hear um, that a recruiter is involved in the search, um, I would highly recommend you only talk to the recruiter because going directly to the hiring manager, it's not just in my interest, but going to the hiring manager, they had a reason for hiring the recruiter to begin with and it just messes up the entire process. I mean, I've seen multiple times where someone didn't get an offer uh, because they went directly around the recruiter. On the flip side, do not shy away from reaching out to a decision maker such as yourself uh, in a company that you aspire to work for, even though you might not see a job opening yes. on their website. Because you never know, you know, because you already have in your head what's happening next. Um, that is not even aware to, HR isn't even aware of it. And, uh, you know, and, and it's definitely not on your website or on LinkedIn or wherever you post jobs. So that's yes. um, always, always a good thing to, to go about, yeah. Marcus, it's been a real pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you, learning more about Moore Electronic and you. And um, maybe we could do it again sometime. <laughs> <laughs>